What we are trying is to see if we cannot radically bring about a transformation of the mind. Not accept things as they are, but to understand it, to go into it, to examine it. Give your heart and your mind with everything that you have to find out. The way of living differently. But that depends on you and not somebody else. Because in this there is no teacher, no pupil, there is no leader. There's no guru, there's no master, no savior. You yourself are the teacher and the pupil, you are the master, you are the guru, you are the leader. You are everything. To understand is to transform what is. Alrighty, guys. Did you miss us? <laughs> it's like forever. I know. I know. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Z Radio. You know me. I'm Thunder. And I'm Danette. And we're happy that you joined us today. Boy, we got a lot to pack into an hour uh, with today's show. So sit back, relax, <laughs> come into the chat room and ring the bell. And <laughs> ring the bell. Anyway. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm keeping yeah. nice and busy. Um, is it just me? I hear something scraping or something. So everyone mute if you're not on. Um, yeah, I've been good. Been busy, as you know, with the the new blog stuff and uh-huh. CDN stuff and the radio stuff. Uh-huh. <laughs> stuff. Ah. Uh. Yeah. So people are probably curious why we're coming on Tuesday, Danette. Oh, right. Well, that's your fault. It is my fault. I know. <laughs> I know. I, I couldn't make it yesterday. But it kind of led us into thinking, wait, you know, we've got all these new prospects and new shows coming mm-hmm. on board. And we're going to have to move in some things around. I know that uh, you've been talking to the guys over in Texas. Mm-hmm. Like guys uh, Live. That guy's live, and so... Great show. Yeah, they do their show on Monday, so we might have to give up our Monday time slot. Yeah, oh, oh. it wouldn't it wouldn't conflict in the time, but we thought it would be good to just space out the shows on the right. days of right. the week. So we're going to try Tuesday this week. We'll see mm-hmm. how it goes for our viewers, and if it's more convenient, we don't know. Right. But we thought we would try some, we might try time difference, too, just depending what shows come up. Right. So we're trying to accommodate other shows on this network, on ZBN Network, because we're all family here, so trying to help everyone out. There you go. And as you can see, you can catch us on Facebook right there. The address is below that pretty little chin right there. And our Twitter. <laughs> you guys want to catch us there? Turn that up. I know, huh? Yeah. Anyway, oh, I should have the, I know, I should have the camera on me when I'm talking. Yeah, it's all right. You can't do everything at once. I know. I know. But, so, yeah, to follow us, definitely Facebook or Twitter, and then you'll you'll get a notice uh, when the show's on. Absolutely. And since we'll be changing times and days, you might need to stay connected. Stay in touch. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. At least until we figure out a, a good day for everyone. Right. So... How would you would you be so kind as to do the honors of introducing our special guest today? Yes, absolutely. Today we have with us 
Neil Tiernan from V Radio, or otherwise known as VTV, um, <laughs> who had spent some time at Occupy Detroit recently and wrote up a really great story about it uh, on the TZM blog, with, which if you don't know about that, you can find the blog at blog.thezeitgeistmovement.com. And um, I read some of what he had to say. I also saw some videos did on that day. And some really good information, so we thought we'd invite him on the show today to let us know how it went. So Awesomeness. Awesome. Welcome, Neil. Now, unfortunately, okay. we don't have video for Neil, so I'm going to put up a little goodie here. <laughs> and there he is. There he is. Hello, guys. Am I coming through okay? Yeah. Yeah. Excellent, excellent. Well, yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, so let us know what what prompted you to go down to Occupy. Well, honestly, um, you know, it was just, it's been the first time in a long time that something interesting was going on in my state. I mean, aside from the Michigan Zeitgeist chapter, which is really great, um, as far as like something big, as far as protesting or whatever, nothing really has come up that has caught my interest other than this. So I uh, went down there for that reason initially, and uh, I certainly didn't regret it. What was, so take us through your experience. Um, how did it start? How did it flow? Well, um, initially I had heard, like basically I would kind of said to um, Sean, who's the head of the Michigan Zeitgeist chapter, who's a really great guy, uh, you know, I had said to him, hey, you know, maybe we ought to consider going to Occupy Detroit. And he's like, well, where have you been? We've been there already. You know, and he goes on to tell me all the cool stuff they've been doing. And, you know, they were there for the initial march with a big giant Zeitgeist movement banner and stuff like that. And um so I went down there and uh, ran into Hans, who's another great guy from the Zeitgeist Movement chapter there. Um, he uh, And he kind of showed me around a little bit, and then I just kind of dove right in and started talking to people. It didn't really take much, though, because the the vibe there is very much like an open gathering where you can usually just kind of walk up and talk to anybody there. So mm-hmm. it was very easy to, to mingle, you know, um, Especially, you know, like when I was just I was doing interviews for some of the profiles that you saw in my blog post, I was able to sit down and kind of talk to people and get to know people. And I got invited to a meeting almost like right away to participate in. And um, it was actually a facilitation meeting, uh, like they have a facilitation meeting to kind of set up things for the agenda for the big general assemblies that come later. And they asked me to participate in that. And I got to learn a little bit about their consensus model and participate in that. And give some of my own advice, like right away. And I think one of the things that I would say that I like the most about it is that there wasn't anybody set up to to run the meeting. There was just scheduled a meeting and all the people there showed up and, you know, they said, okay, does any have a problem with, anyone have a problem with me facilitating this meeting? And there were no objections. So this nice Asian kid started, you know, facilitating the meeting and then we worked out an agenda and then we, um, got consensus on that agenda and then moved forward with that agenda. And uh, if people had something to say, then they were able to speak. And, and rather than um, everybody like having some kind of audio way of voicing their feelings about something, they have these series of hand signals. Like if you like what somebody's saying, rather than going, yeah, or here, here, and then nobody can hear the person anymore. You stick your hands up in the air and you kind of wave them back and forth, like meaning your hands pointed up. Don't we have a video for that? We you uh, sent us a nice little video, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, I did actually. We can play the video and we get can. into that more later then. But the point is, is they had a hand signal system so that people could communicate their their like or dislike of something. Um, we can and you, show it now if we want. Yeah, go right ahead. 
So, um, Thunder, shall we show yep. that now? Yeah, we can do that. Which video was that? That was. That was the. I know I gave consensus. Yeah. Consensus. Oh, the consensus video. Okay. I can yeah, give you a we'll long one and a short one. I, you know, whichever one. Yeah, you we'll got. play the short one. Yeah, we'll okay. play the short one. All right, stand by. Here we go. I think. Come on. There we go. People ask all the time, like, who are the leaders? Like, well, none, none of us are leaders and we're all leaders. The only way that you keep people involved in a movement like this is you have a process in which everyone's voice can be heard. It's a consensus process. In our movement, it's really important to have our means reflect the ends that we're trying to create. We want to have more representation in our government and in our economy. So in trying to create that, every decision has been made through our process of general assemblies and through our process of working. All of this is overseen by a group that anyone can join called facilitation, and they do trainings on how to be part of sharing this process in a way where it's unopinionated, allowing all the voices to be heard. But you don't have to come here to be part of it. You can start it wherever you are. When you want to show support to something that you're hearing, you twinkle. Then there's, uh, I'm, I'm okay with it, but not really. And then I disagree. This, which is the point of process, when someone is getting off topic. Louder, we can't hear you. Clarifying questions. If someone has a point of information, go for a opinion. This is a block. If you make a block, it means you're, you're so disagreeable to it that you will actually leave the movement or the working group um, if not the reason. So the twinkle, the twinkle, that's what they're, the twinkle, twinkle. That's, that's when you agree. You're like, right. the hand, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, so so they have that process going on. Did, were they using that in Detroit? Maybe? Yes, they were. Um, much again, once again, kind of on a smaller scale, obviously much less people, but but definitely. Okay, so then that's how they handled their meetings uh and you stayed the night as well right yes i did actually okay. the whole weekend okay so how was that um well uh it was interesting for sure i mean it was cold um i think the way i put it in the blog was that it was cold wet miserable and i could you know i missed it already um <laughs> it, i mean it's like uh one thing i'll have to say like i pointed out in my blog is i grew up in a really really bad neighborhood as a kid and so i i've never felt more safe in a bad neighborhood than i did in that camp even though you know there were there were a lot of homeless people although that was not by any means the majority of the people involved with occupy um, you know, and some of the problems that go along with the situation where, you know, inevitably because of the economy in Michigan, there's a lot of crack addicts and stuff like that that just happen to be in the area. But what I what I liked about it, though, is that when it looked like something was about to happen, the community generally got together and made sure that there was no problems. 
Um, so, but uh, camping out there, you know, um, they have a kitchen set up and, you know, there was always food for everyone. They, you know, they have a comfort center where there's extra blankets and they usually have some communal tents that are for everybody's use, like in the event, like, you know, somebody shows up that doesn't have one and wants to stay the night. Um, and uh, that that was basically, um, you know, the start of it as far as the camping. Uh, it was good to be able to be there the whole time because it's like, one of the things I liked about it was just that there was almost always something going on that was interesting. You know, it really felt like a, a social gathering, only it felt like that the whole time. You know, like the whole time you were there, there was something to talk about, some meeting to attend, some workshop to go to, you know, to keep yourself occupied at Occupy, no pun intended. <laughs> um, I had friends there, though, they're like, you know, they, they live there. And I asked them, I'm like, you know, how could you, I mean, how did you make the adjustment to giving up things like cable TV and all that? And, you know, they said, well, I, I just don't think about that anymore. And after spending a few days out there that weekend and then going back there, you know, it frequently throughout the week and then the next weekend, I can understand how. Because the whole time I was there, I was never bored. I was never just sitting around doing nothing. I was always having a good conversation with someone. Yeah. Yeah. That, no, that's great. Mm-hmm. Um, so then... I, I like how they offer things to people who don't have resources. It's like they're already sharing resources. They're already doing the things that we propose in the Zeitgeist Movement. For sure. I mean, it's a very communal, open situation. Um, it reminds me of, a, you know, like, I guess what you would see out of, um, like, an anarcho-communist or anarcho-syndicalist situation where everybody's, like, there's no super authoritative figures and everybody's sharing the resources there and everybody's sharing responsibility. There are little hiccups here and there, but overall, I'd have to say that they really have their, you know, collective SHIT together. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. So then um, you were interview, interviewing people while you were there, correct? Um, yes, I was. And then um, one of their guys in the media kind of walked up with his laptop and started kind of interviewing me <laughs> while I was interviewing <laughs> them. And, and that's the video that you see on YouTube that I also linked at the front of the blog. Um, yeah, it was a great conversation you guys are having. Well, I met a lot of people, and one of my reasons I was doing the the interviews was that I was trying to get through to people that, you know, the, the demographic that you're hearing in the mainstream media is just, it's totally bogus. This is not a bunch of uneducated people, you know, and while there are some people there that fit that demographic, there were also a lot of people there that didn't, you know, um, I like there were professors there, ironically, like uh, there was a professor of political science who was a really cool person, still very much employed. Um, there were a lot of people that were employed. There were some people that would have beat would fall into the category that someone might call unemployed by choice. But a lot of those people were, well, crack addicts, you know, crack addicts and stuff. And um, but those people, once again, you know, you, that park had always has always had kind of a homeless community in it. So it was it's not as though that they were, you know, this is the face of Occupy Detroit. Although there were some people who were homeless there that were extremely helpful and then pitched in and then became part of that community. Um, so, you know. Neil, I'm curious, um, because I've never been to Detroit for more than a weekend, uh, is that the only park that they, I mean, if that park already has a reputation like that, wouldn't it have made sense to occupy a different area or was that really the only place they could occupy well, to be honest, I mean, I should probably restate that to point out that just about all the parks in Detroit are like that because oh. <laughs> Detroit is so destroyed, I mean, uh, econo ec economically, and I'm watching as I 
Because as I was talking to people, there were more and more people there that if you looked at them, you would not know they were homeless. You know, they were well-dressed, educated, lucid, you know, not drunk, not on drugs, but they were just, they slipped through the cracks of the system and, you know, they wanted to work, but there's nothing there. Yeah. Well, the reason I ask is because it just seems like, it seems like the media, uh, you know, is just sitting in wait of an excuse to, to label this whole Occupy thing as a hit, another hippie movement or whatever, you know, whatever little dark cloud they want to drag over it. And uh, so that's kind of why I was curious about uh, keeping a certain image, but I, I really wasn't aware that it's that bad there. Wow. It must, it must, uh, must be a challenge just to walk to the streets at night. Well, um, that was a little easier than I thought. The one aspect of Detroit that, that still has money is downtown near the casinos and all that. So the police presence is sufficient that you can manage to not get mugged, but there are still a lot of homeless people pretty much everywhere you go. And that's one of the things I also mentioned in the blog was an experience was like, you know, I walked by this, the, you know, this casino and there were people sleeping outside in the streets under blankets right next to the casino where inside people are living it up and playing with, you know, playing with money. You know, right. just just like something out of the beginning as like guys moving forward, you know, where you have people who are just totally unconscious of that fact. And a friend of mine named Kevin, who I mean, I guess you could count him at least as far as his financial area in life as being part of the one percent um, was extremely sensitive to that. I think it was probably the first time he'd ever seen a homeless person in his life. And we sat down to eat a meal and we were both kind of quiet and it was bothering us both at the same time. And then eventually we just kind of looked at each other and said, wow, like we already knew what we were talking about because we were eating a meal while those people were sitting outside, you know, lying in the, the streets. And um, it was interesting to me because I come from the opposite of Kevin, you know, but we still came together in that moment and recognized that it was really messed up that, you know, while we did need to eat just like anybody else does, there were so many people surrounding us in that area who who, who did have money and did have food and and we're not even conscious of the of people sleeping outside. Wow. Yeah. What What do the people, the homeless individuals who join the movement, do they become part of the activism? Yeah. Uh, they join the marches. They They often help around the kitchen and do pretty much what everybody else does. I mean, I think that's another thing I would point out is that a lot of people, when they join Occupy, essentially, you know, they give up their homes voluntarily. So they move out. Of their homes and then move into these tents and that's just where they live you know um and then they kind of intermingled with some of the homeless who you know recognized what was going on and wanted to be part of it i'd have to say the ones that you know made the biggest impression on me were guys who said that they used to be from the right and then you know they busted their derrieres their whole lives and did everything that the the free market types tell you to do and then ended up completely homeless and destroyed and there was nothing they could do, you know, they, they, it's, that's the part of it that I think many people, particularly when they live in areas where this is not true, don't understand. They look back at it and they say, well, why don't these people just find a job? And it, it's hard to get through to them that, no, you know, there are places that are just so bad now that you can't find a job. You know, if there's no yeah. jobs, you can't get a job, period. You know, it's like squeezing blood from a stone. So... Well, yeah, that's what uh, that uh, Kane, Herman Kane. Mm -hmm. You heard about his little uh, rhetoric, didn't you? Or, yeah, I did. Mm -hmm. Where he said, you know, all you Occupy people need to go home, get a job, and get a life. 
That, right. was his, that, that was his advice to them. You know, and pre, like a week before that, he said something like, uh, if you don't have a job in this country, it's your fault. <laughs> well, it blows mind how somebody could be that blindly ignorant. Well, they don't, you know, they, they look at the, the, this is something else I, I pointed out in the video that you guys watched was that I, unemployment rates are not accurately represented. They are represented by the amount of people currently drawing unemployment benefits. They do not represent the amount of people who are not eligible for unemployment benefits or those who have had been eligible and have not, have since run out. So um, calculated, recalculated, just where I live in Chesterfield, which is only just recently gotten to this state, but I imagine watching the economy die, it'll just be a matter of time before it starts looking more like Detroit. You know, unemployment's more like 43 percent, you know, where you need to literally have like a conversation you would have had, say, back in the 80s when you lived in Michigan. You'd be like, well, you know, my father's in GM and he'll get you in GM. Like it would be this big thing that you'd get done for you. And here we have those kinds of conversations about fast food restaurants. My friend will get you into Burger King. You know, <laughs> that's it, it, you need to know somebody to get into a fast food restaurant. So it's I think that. um People like Herman Cain and people who say stuff like that, they really need to believe that. They really need to believe that, you know, that, that all they, the people who are homeless are there by choice. I think they actually do believe it. Yeah. You know, I mean, and that's, you know, a lot, a lot, of, we, a lot of criticism that we hear of these people, quote unquote, uh, I think what those criticizers don't understand is these people really think that they are doing the right thing. They think they are doing something good something beneficial to this country, to this society. They, a lot of them have, literally have no clue uh, that the system that they're perpetuating is, is going to turn into our demise if something doesn't happen. Well, yeah, and they honestly believe that, you know, because they did it, everyone else can do it. It's, right. and, it's not, and it's not to say that, you know, hard work can't get you somewhere. It can, but, you know, it's like, you know, basically I, I think I would use this analogy. It's like getting to the track. You know, uh, yeah, hard work, and I'll I'll run around the track, but that doesn't mean I got on the track. And that's you know, to get on the track sometimes means that opportunities have to be there in the first place, and in many cases there just are not. And as our economy crashes, the more and more of the people that I talk to are extremely well educated. I talked to one lady who did the the reeducate herself thing five times, you know, and she was still homeless when it was all finished after she had owned her own businesses. You know, she kept changing to try to find something else like they tell you to do. And she had still ended up in a downward spiral that ended with her homeless. And it, at that point, what is she supposed to do? And that's it's even crazier when you look at how the Michigan legislature is trying to handle it. We elected this weird corporate fascist guy, and I'm not saying that lightly, named Rick Snyder, who just passed a resolution that will allow him to fire elected officials like city council people and all that and appoint people from his corporate buddies to take their place. Okay. Huh. Tell that's me that's crazy. not, I know it is. And wow. then, and Wait, what? Uh, I, yeah, I'm not making that up. Wow. <laughs> I, I didn't, how does he even able to do that? What law exists that allows him to even be able to do that? Uh, yeah. He started it as a governor and then it somehow manipulated the state legislature to allow him to do it. Most people yeah. don't pay yeah. attention to, to state politics. They have no idea. And that plays yeah. into like, you might have heard the show I did earlier when I was talking about um, when I went to the FIA office with a friend of mine, I noticed that they went from one security guard and an open 
like area where, you know, people had their kids and families, you know, look like maybe like a doctor's office or something to now they have uh, bulletproof glass uh, with the little ports like you get in a bad neighborhood, like in the gas stations. I mean, thick bulletproof glass and oh, four, four security guards. This yeah. is in the FIA office. And I asked them why. And they said, well, you know, uh, Snyder's turning off all unemployment and he's going to be turning off all cash assistance effective this year so we've already had incidents with people coming in here to complain and and well i assume violent incidents and they're like yeah I'm like and uh, yeah they, he's, he's got a super high performance car like the thing that I, I oh my gosh we're gonna have riots it's, that's so sad yeah that's so sad that's ridiculous to take what little they have away from them you can't they're, they're almost forced to violence. That's all they have left at that point, right? If everything's stripped away from people, it, all they have left is revolting. For sure. And, you yeah. know, the thing of it is is that, you know, they, they basically play on the, the minority, at least that I ran into anyway, of people who use welfare who do abuse it. They, you know, they do exist. But, mm-hmm. but because of those people, now we need to turn off all of it because supposedly we can all just find a job. That's why I said there's going to be riots because I know there are no jobs. I've been trying to find one. So I don't I don't see, you know, if I'm if I can't find one and at 43%, you know, uh unemployment rate just where I am and it's worse than some other areas of Michigan, um there's it's going to be nothing short of total crazy anarchy. I, I cannot see how he could expect to do that and, and expect it to work. You can't not bring more jobs into the situation and and turn off the programs that are keeping people floating and not expect people to go nuts because that's yeah. exactly what I see happening. Yeah, exactly. Because it's one thing if there just aren't resources for people, then it that I think people will be more understanding of that. But if they've been receiving resources and then those few resources are taken away deliberately, then they're just asking for retaliation. Right. You know, so you so it makes sense that they're trying to protect themselves. But that's just sad. I mean, that's that's a sad statement that they actually have to put this bulletproof you know, stuff in their office, in a federal office. Yeah. Um, that's crazy. Yeah. Well, um, so your experience at Occupy at least was was really nice overall. You're saying. Absolutely. Um, even though it's cold and wet, <laughs> the camaraderie there and. Um, did they go on marches while you were there? Or yes. Did they do um, yeah, actually, um, I, I did. I did attend a march. Um, we went up to Jack Square, and then we marched all the way back to Grand Circus Park, where the occupation is actually settled. We marched with the UAW. That was a real experience. Um, my feet were already killing me due to walking all over the place with my heel spurs, but I had to be part of it. And um, it was really cool to be part of. Like, I think there was at least three hundred of us marching, you know, down the street. Um, nice. And, you know, that's the other thing I would want to point out is that there were huge demographics that were covered, but it was like so many different kinds of people. Like there were anarchists, there were socialists, there were Green Party people, there were communists, um, you know, and there were even some free market libertarians who were all in this group. And, of course, they they didn't agree on a lot of things, Um, (laughs) but at the same token, they did agree about the source of the majority of the problems. And yeah. So yeah. far, that's working. I'd say that there is a, only a mild problem in that some of these organizations, like the Communist Party and all that, think of this as an opportunity for a major recruiting drive. But um, I've been trying to tell, because like there's also been problems of people thinking that the Zeitgeist Movement is going to try to do that. And 
when I talked to Sean from Michigan today, I said, you know, just go join Occupy Detroit. And then like anybody else there, if you want to share your ideology, go ahead. But, you know, and he's like, yeah, that's what I wanted to do anyway, because he was curious how to approach it without offending anybody, because it's not about co-opting. It's about educating people. If they like our ideas, then fine. And if they don't, they don't. But at least we all recognize the same problem. Right. I think that's what's helping the Occupy movement to grow. And they get criticized for not having demands, per se, as of yet. Um, but I think that's actually a good thing, because if they set out a list of specific demands, not everyone would probably agree with those demands. And they say, well, I don't agree with those demands, so I'm not going to join that movement. But what everyone does agree on so far is that where the problem comes from. And so that's why the numbers are growing and growing and growing. And it also allows the movement to have a little more power when they do eventually ask for something to, to happen. The, the larger the amount of people behind it, the more they can ask for. Well, I think... That's part of the reason why it's a matter of trying to figure out those demands is because you are talking about entirely different groups and ideologies. Clearly, you're not mm -hmm. going to get free market libertarians to agree to the same ideology demands as social, you know, so, so, socialists or communists or, or Green Party people. So it was a question of trying to find out what was in common and sticking to that. Um, mm -hmm. And that's like, you know, for example, uh, Storm Clouds Gathering, my friend from YouTube recently made a video about suggesting that they, that the, the Tea Parties and the Wall Street protests should team up against the banks, you know, and that's actually been a pretty decent um, reception that I've gotten on that idea because they both recognize that the banks and fractional reserve lending and the, and the central banking system is the problem. They can agree mm -hmm. on that. Um, and right. I think as long as we focus on those aspects, we'll, we'll go a lot further. Um, I don't know. I mean, like their consensus decision-making model seems to be working in smaller scale, I've read that it has problems in larger scale, um, and I've even seen a little bit of that in some of the meetings that I went to, but I think a lot of that stuff, when you, when you bring Jack on, he'll be able to talk more about the attitude you have to have for consensus to work. And some of the right. people that are there think that consensus means that we all get to talk even if, we've, if, even if we're redundant and even if I'm just re-saying something someone else already said or if, you know... Right. Yeah, that's why well, I said I read I read the article you sent on the person who had a problem with the consensus process. And um he, he seemed to be coming from a position of a, a disgruntled individual is sort of how it came across. And I'm sure there's there's people who get frustrated with the system, especially because it's something we weren't raised with. We're culturally not even aware of how to do this properly. And it's something that we're probably going to have to grow into and transition into this idea of how to operate under a different system. Obviously, that's the transition period psychologically, right? So um, when I went to Occupy LA, there was a person who came down, his name was Vincent from New York. He had been there from day one, had seen it grow, had seen their process change over the previous, I think at that point they'd been around three or four weeks. Um, and he spoke a little bit about their general assembly and the, the frustrations that happened there. We actually have a video clip here that I want to play in a second. Um, but he he addresses that exact point: is that there there's sure there's issues, but it's it's part of how we need to grow into this. So, Sender, if you have that, I video. have it. Right. Okay, let's show that. In the clip. But I, I, I've already heard some people tell me that 
Minister having some frustrations with the General Assembly. Let me tell you, when we first got together, our General Assembly was a mess. We would have discussions going, something important would come up, and then some guy would come up and say, hey, you know, like, get, get his hand on stack, interrupt the discussion, and say that he had the t-shirt for the People's Revolution, and then you spend the next 20 minutes trying to explain to this guy that that wasn't the appropriate time to bring this up because we were having, trying to find consensus on, a, on an idea. Um, it'll get better. As people get more used to your process, and as you guys get more used to your process, it will get better, it'll get more organized,
because everybody can live much more abundantly than they are now. What is that model? Well, it's it's described in in the community planet vision. It's it's pretty, you know. It's do you, do you have a, a sound bite of <laughs> what that model would look like? I mean, you know, in thirty seconds or less. It would be like the four of us got together and we described how it would how it would work for it for a community that that where we would basically view ourselves as one family okay and and so it's it's that kind of a of an approach to say we can't do something on the planet because there's not enough money is an absurdity uh, because what we're really saying is we can't do something because there's not enough cooperation. Within the community, we could get entirely get rid of the whole money system within the community. Right. Uh, so, so we just describe in detail. It's hard to give a soundbite of that. We just describe in detail the interrelationships and how it would work and, and – uh, and it took us three years, a group of us, it took us about three years to put together that that vision. Okay. So I'm trying to visualize the vision of how it's structured. Yeah. Structurally, how would that work? You mean like a family? It would be structured like a family? Yeah. Can, if, okay. if the planet got together and we... And we thought of ourselves as one family, we wouldn't have the problems that we've got now. But but in this situation, we're dealing just with 500 people uh, viewing themselves as one family. Uh, you know, this, this thing about jobs that, that Neil touched on and the unemployment rates uh, and the politicians talking about how we need more jobs, that is another absurdity. We don't need more jobs. We need fewer jobs because 85% of the jobs that exist only exist because of the lack of cooperation between people. Mm-hmm. And so you've got all these nonsense jobs and you've got people creating nonsense products because they're trying to survive on their own as opposed to people getting together and thinking about how this could work for everyone. Right. And and on that point of thinking about how this can work for everyone. Um, I, I guess that's part of the reason we we asked you to be on the show is to see what you guys have come up with. You said it took three years to come up with these ideas on how to structure communities and how to operate within a community so that it works for everyone. So we're really curious as to what that might look like. I mean, what would you suggest to the Occupy movement on how they could best um, form themselves so that it works for everyone. Well, I'm not sure there's a one-to-one interface with with that mm-hmm. because um, this isn't about what we're doing isn't about protesting, isn't about againstness against the the current system. The current system we don't have to be against it; it's just broken. What what people need to do is they need to see an alternative working model and that's what we're focusing on until people can see an alternative in operation then it's easy to just be be a critic and batter the existing system but what can we do to take its place and we're all about 
creating that model that could be something that could take the place. Okay, so yeah. you're creating a model now? Well, that's what we're working on. Okay, so what what is the model going to look like? Right. It has a lot in common with a resource-based economy. I know that from reading the book. Exactly. Okay. Can you describe it? Or is it impossible to describe? Well, I'm, I'm trying to, but imagine living in a community that's of about 500 people that's on several hundred acres, and then you've got... Just so you know, just so you know, I have. Okay. 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 (laughs) (laughs) For four years. (laughs) Okay. Go ahead. Then you've got some adjacent communities that are doing the same concept to where there's uh, five other communities, so there's 3,000 people in six up to 500-person communities. Okay. So... So we're raising most of our own food. We're creating all our own energy. We're taking care of all of our own waste. We've got a system of decision-making that's based on true consensus, which has nothing to do with voting or hand-raising or anything else, but it's people meeting in small groups and then and then having representatives in larger groups. But, that that was a very complicated part of the um, description is is describing how that would work with a 500 person community. Well, um, I guess that's probably the part that I was referring to when I was asking you to describe it because that's where the Occupy movement is right now. They're building their community based on general assemblies and reaching consensus on decision making. So anything that you guys have done or have studied that might help that process, I was wondering if that was something you could share or if you tried it yourself. Well, there's a, there's a number of communities that are using or have tried to use consensus, intentional communities. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the leading experts on these communities in the United States and is a woman named Diana Leaf Christian, and she shares the same opinion that I have, which is that if, on a community level at least, for the more complicated decisions, unless people have been trained and screened for doing consensus decision-making, I wouldn't try it. Because it takes people who hold that consciousness of the highest good in order to really do true consensus. Because in true consensus, people have to be all lined up to where I can support that decision. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna do any blocking consciously or unconsciously. I'm gonna support that decision. Um, and that requires a real maturity of consciousness on the part of people because a lot of people have hidden agendas, even hidden from from themselves. It's like I may be, um, I may have a disagreement with, with you and the ideas that you're putting forward because um, you remind me of a, of a former girlfriend who I still have some unresolved issues with. And I may not even be consciously aware of that, but within the, consci- within the consensus model that we've described, we would be able to get to those kinds of things and explore those things and clear those things 
And, and that's what we've done in the consensus trainings that that we have created. Yeah, I think it's a good idea. I think that's a good idea to have um, training for people who hold who hold those positions of representing a, a larger group. Um, so, yeah, in, the, in the Occupy movement, they're doing. They're you know if if people are doing um, holding up hands or it's it's a form of voting, but. I would not describe that as real, true consensus. Um, it's probably a step in the right direction <laughs> over the voting model that we have in this country, but it's still the essence of of consensus really is creativity that you get people together and in smaller groups, not huge groups, but groups of twelve people or less to where they can ex- really explore the issues and in uh, in the case of uh, of what we were doing, uh, uh, sometimes it would be the person who was very intuitively based that didn't even have um, an idea about what the real solution was, but but was intuitive enough to know that what we had arrived at was not going to be the ultimate uh, solution to what we were trying to describe. So her contribution was just to say, this isn't it. And then we'd have to get, you know, we'd come back the next week and hope she'd changed her mind, and she hadn't, (laughs) because intuitively she knew. But it was just that one person who was blocking our moving on to the next thing. And so because we couldn't do anything, we just started playing with, you know, uh, absurd ideas and just throwing out absurd ideas in in the brainstorming process and and that's the beauty of the model because in that somebody would say something and then we'd build on that and build on that and then we'd get to this whole other level of understanding the issue and describing the issue that if if it had just been uh, if we hadn't listened to those quiet voices that typically don't don't vote or don't offer an opinion or don't have the courage to share, this isn't it, but I don't know what is it, I, um, we wouldn't have gotten to a lot of the uh, solutions that we got to. Mm-hmm. So the, part of the essence of consensus is creativity to to expand how we're looking at something so that we can be more inclusive of everyone and take into account the the kind of the unrepresented positions on things. All right. So, okay. Yeah, that's a good point. And and Neil, in your experience with um, Occupy Detroit, did you see any of that? That there were voices that weren't being well, heard? Or? Yeah, that's actually something I'm glad you you brought back to me because I wanted to to point out something when when they put up together a proposal. Um, it goes through a few phases, and one of the things is, is like, okay, you know, are there any standicides to this proposal? Standicides are people who say, okay, I don't like what you're doing, but I'm not going to stop you from doing it. But I'm, you know, but I'm indicating with my hands that I, I'm not really cool with this, but not enough to actually feel that it's worth fighting over at the moment. And then there was, if stand, after standicides, then there are people who, you know, if if they really, really, really oppose an idea, then they can block it. And say no, no, we're really not finished talking about this. I really need to get this forward. It's usually reserved for I have a huge moral opposition, or I think there's something very dangerous about this proposal. 
Um, and that's you go through all of those phases, and the hope is is if somebody's blocked, that then they come forward, they talk about why they blocked, and that maybe through further conversation you can try to achieve consensus. Um, it, unfortunately, I mean, I, I know where Jack's coming from. He likes to try to have a model where absolutely everybody gets consensus before anything goes forward, and they try to do that. They really do. Um, but as but the other difference is though is that as Jack has pointed out to me on more than one occasion. If there are untrained people trying to do this, then they might be more concerned about, you know, their egos or, you know, how am I going to be perceived if I give in that I was wrong about this thing that I just made such a passionate speech about or whatever might be more important to them than being rational. And, you know, we run into this on occasion. And that's, I think, one of the things is the supposedly, the from what I heard anyway, the Occupy movement borrowed their consensus model from the Quakers. And all the Quakers that I've ever met are very mild you know, very uh, nice, very considerate, very caring people. And I can imagine Quakers doing consensus forever. It wouldn't be a problem. But some activists, you know, some activists are angry. Some of them are resentful, you know, and that's true, you know, and, you know, regardless. And some of them might even be just a little bit too paranoid of authority. And then there are ones who, you know, they're, they're very assertive personalities, and while they're not in charge, they're kind of talking over top of everybody and interrupting people constantly. And those, think, kinds, those kinds of people wouldn't make it out of Jack's class. <laughs> right. Yeah, do you think that that has something to do with the difference in um, the culture of Quakers versus the culture of, you know, the typical American experience? Absolutely, yeah, it does. Yeah, culturally, the Quakers were born and raised around consensus and coming together and sharing and growing their own food and all the things that some, that Jack was mentioning, that's how they were born and raised and are much, probably much more mild-mannered and trusting of their environment. Or at and least then, converted to it, if nothing else. Right. And then you have your typical American experience, which you're on the defense, you know, it, it's just a dog-eat-dog kind of world growing up, you know, that we're used to. So you probably have a different approach to these kinds of things. So that's why I was saying earlier is I think it's, it's that transition that we need to make psychologically and culturally um, in order to operate in this, this type of model. So I think that that's definitely part of it. That's what it sounds like anyway, because you brought up a good point with the Quakers. I'm, I'm, I'm visualizing a group of Quakers and a group of activists. <laughs> you know, you're going to have very different approaches to the, probably the exact same question. Right. Well, I mean, Quakers believe that just being aggressive or doing anything that's hurtful to someone else damages their own souls. So mm -hmm. <laughs> they're automatically <laughs> protecting everyone around them from themselves. Uh, right. And one of the things that I witnessed in the rare occasions when I was asked to mediate something was just that, you know, some people had some uh, built up resentment over an issue and then it started to interfere with the consensus process. And then finally, I was like, Okay, guys, um, it's very clear to me that there's a personal problem going on between this group and this group. So I'm going to advise that we table all of your snide comments for one another. Notice <laughs> I use the terms table. And then I'll be more than happy to come over here and we'll, and we'll mediate this after we're finished. And it actually works. They were able to do that. But, you know, it's, it is very much a situation where people have to, have to learn how to have the right attitude. I mean, I guess, you know, do you, you know what I'm talking about, Jack. Go ahead and, I mean, it's their show, but I would say go to Jack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jack, if you have any input on that and the attitude. Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, I want to say that I think the Occupy movements are uh -huh. doing the best they can with the 
with the process of decision making given given what they're dealing with. So I have no argument or complaint about what they're doing. It's just um you know, to me it's not it's not true consensus, but it is it is something that that, that they had to do to work you know, to get as far as they they've gotten. But um within a community in order for a community based on the highest good of all to really work, these 500 people, they absolutely have to hold that consciousness of the highest good. They have to be screened before they can come into the community as a decision-making part of the community so that, so that they are coming from that same place. Again, I use the words maturity of consciousness and, and, uh, and if they've got some, unresolved issues inside that they that they have the the ability to look at those things but the bottom jack. line of doing consensus also in a group is jack jack pardon me one second before we get into that uh your camera's frozen up you want to restart your camera so we can capture and then we can continue and that'd be great thank you okay well let's that, see Let's see if you can, you can put it on. There we go. There we go. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> awesome. Okay, now continue. I'm sorry about that. Um, where was I? <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. Trying to find a place to like say, okay, wait, let's hold that thought. Um, well, that's okay in- because we are coming up on the top of the hour, and there's. One. Are we? Oh my God! It's, wow, that was. Yeah, it's six minutes, and I was. Wondering what, um, so to, to wrap up this point on community building, so it sounds like everyone sort of agrees that the way to go about it is some form of consensus, right? I mean, is that correct? Sure, sure. Okay. Um, but, as, I mean, I, I, I hear a lot of talk about consensus, and I mean, is there some unified, because I hear, okay, well, the kind of consensus that they're doing over here is really not a true, I heard that term from Jack, a true consensus. Uh, what is a true consensus, Jack? To me, it would be where where everybody totally understands the, the issue, the decision-making, uh, the decision being made, and they they come into alignment that they can support that decision and that they will support that decision. Right. So the the predisposition is that all people involved in the consensus, in the decision-making are educated to some degree on a reasonable level about whatever the issue is. Yes. as As a starting point. Yes. It also works best if everyone in the group very sincerely cares that everyone else in the group is treated as an equal and is and is heard. Like, you know, like if somebody starts to talk and then maybe someone a bit more aggressive starts talking and then therefore that person stops, you know, you need to be mm-hmm. the person to go, hey, that person had something to say too. Let, let's hear from them now. You know, that's why they have something called stack where, you know, you put together, all right, well, this person's in stack, he's going next, this person's in stack. You know, and a stack taker needs to be very sensitive to that, needs to be looking very closely at, okay, I know that person raised their hand, and now we all need to make them comfortable with coming forward and talking. And you can help break people out of their shells slowly 
once they get that no aggressive personality is going to be allowed to jump on them for saying something they may not like, then the real freedom of speech starts. Yeah, and that's part of that transition period, I'm guessing. It really takes uh, facilitators who who really have the training to be able to monitor the safety levels in the group, the communication on the group, and and what's going on there. And uh, it's it's a skill, and not everybody has that skill. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I agree. But at least we, you know, they're they're starting out somewhere. It's good. Um, I think we're locked up on stick hound sender, so um, we're gonna. Yeah, it, it's been locked up for a while. Okay. So we're gonna probably close this. But I wanna, I wanna thank you for coming on, Neil and Jack, both of you. Thank you so much. Um, Can I put in a little plug? Yes, of course, both of you. We're before sure. we end, we're gonna find out more about Community Planet. Just go on the internet to communityplanet.org. Yeah. CommunityPlanet.org. There's a a 37 minute video there. Uh, me on a good day and highly edited <laughs> that uh, gives the the vision that is in the uh, the same vision that's described in in the book. Great. And there's yeah, a, I wish you could show it. That little video is actually what got me interested in Jack's work. And um, obviously, yes, yeah. you can check out my stuff at v hyphen or v minus radio.org including many interviews with Jack, reading his book, um, you know, panel discussions that actually Gregory took part in a few times, too, where we discussed different aspects of his book and um, consensus decision-making, along with a lot of other great stuff, filmmakers. Just go there and check it out. Yeah. Right on. Great. Okay, yeah, yeah we're, we're having some – I'm going to close the show now because if I don't, I'm afraid we're not going to get this saved. Yeah, so we'll save this. So thanks again, guys. Really appreciate okay. it. It's a great Bye, topic. Everybody. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much, guys. Um, we will play yeah. our outro music. Now. None of the damn buttons are working, so. Okay. We'll just play our outro music, and yes. I'll post-edit it later. Take care, everyone. We'll see you next Bye, week. Bye, everyone. Thank you.